Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Starman's. What's up? What's up everybody? What are we talking about today? We're talking about Chernobyl. Hell yeah. I know. Any business we need to get to? How are you feeling? How's your day? Um, you know, my day's been all right. It's been <clears> a good day? I had an on-site this morning, so no, but, mm, you know. That's all shitty. It is what it is. It's been a day for me. Yeah? Yeah. Did you work? Nope. Almost. I had two patients that might have needed, but they said they wanted to wait till Monday to see. So I was like, okay, sure. Wait, actually, don't you normally work on Saturdays? Every other Saturday. Oh, every other Saturday. Yes, so I can have at least a weekend of normalcy. But, you know, today my underwear is on inside out. I just wanted to share that to everybody. That's <laughs> It was wonderful to, to figure that out. <laughs> Wait, when did, when did you figure that out? Oh, hours ago. Hours, hours ago? Hours. And it's all right. They're, I mean, they're clean. So what's the point? Are they inside? It's like wearing your boxers inside out. Yeah. I Does would it matter? Know in, oh, I would know instantly. I did not know. I would know. If you're a woman. Instantly. Depending on the type of underwear you wear. It usually doesn't matter. Yeah, I guess if it's like lacy underwear. But lace is lace on the inside and the outside. That's what so. I'm saying. But it, like my underwear, well, I wear boxers, but there's a texture difference for sure. From on the men's inside to the undies? outside. Yeah. That's fair. I don't wear whitey tighties. I think that's so stupid. Are you shitting on every dad on the planet? Yeah. Oh. I am. Oh, okay. So do you want to learn a fact that I learned this morning oh yeah and i've got one for you oh yay so what i learned this morning was if you even took a billion people away from the two most populated cities which is like not cities countries which is like you know china Mm -hmm. and geez i can't remember the other one it's not india that might be wrong but theoretically if you took a billion people a billion Mm -hmm. from the two most densely populated countries they would still have the most amount of people in the world. Oh, wow. That is subtracting 1 billion people. That's pretty wild. That's a, that's huge to think about. I mean, they have like kid restrictions over there, like two children per household. Mm-hmm. And that's why, because they're so over-densely populated. I know India is, the I think, the largest global producer of, like, um, not like smog, Oh, but yeah. But the nasty air, essentially. Yeah. Same with China. Mm-hmm. One of them has one, one of them has the other. There's obviously multiple categories of damage to our environment, but one has one, one has the other. I think China is trash, and I think India is air pollution. But I could have them reversed. You can gently correct me, because I'm not going to Google it if you'd like, <laughs> by emailing us at starmanspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, you or could just do that. Google it yourself. But, fun fact, that was it. That was, I just thought that was crazy that they're so overpopulated densely populated not over so it's kind of rude but you pull a billion people out and there still would be the most well just have a chernobyl event and all those people will be dead so <laughs> i mean it was kind of close so <laughs> we'll talk about it all today but what's yours so what's your fun fact uh you know i was watching um videos on youtube as one does and ended up going down this rabbit hole of what a mortician does like their day-to-day life Sure. I know mostly. Yeah. If anyone listens to Morbid Podcasts. So they talk about morticians? No, she's a tech. Oh. An autopsy technician. Okay. So, well, you might know this fact then. Probably. Um, so morticians typically <laughs> drain the blood out of humans. Typically, if necessary. And they replace it with a colored 
red fluid to get the pinkness back in their skin. Shut up. Okay, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, they drain all the blood and they replace it with like a, like a, I guess maybe a, a darker colored solution. It's probably dye. It's yeah, it's dye. So they inject dye, <laughs> probably <laughs> only into your your head and neck area. There's no need for the rest of the body, right? No, they, 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 he said they do it either through the neck or, or your thigh, the lar large arteries. So. so it goes up through your heart, into your yeah. brain, and through your neck. And so they inject this dye into into a dead person to make them look a little bit more alive. Right. And I thought that was super interesting. That is super morbid. Yeah. Like super. They also take these, um, like, they, they look like plastic contacts and they have like pricks on them. Yeah. And they, and they put them in put the, them eye. the eye. Yeah, so the eyelid stays shut. The eyes, yeah. like, oh, God, it's so weird to it, think about. It is. I. So I don't know if morticians actually remove the eyes after you've passed. I can't remember if that's part of the process. I know most of them will remove, like, internal organs and stuff like that because, again, it houses a lot of bacteria. You can right. blow and... Right, you don't want that. No. So they do remove that, and then they pack you, essentially, from you know, chest to Ugh. abdomen with packing materials, but. It's just crazy the lengths that people go to, like, you know, look at a dead person and not be, like, totally, for lack of a better term, mortified. Right. Um, you know. Like, just cremate and send me to the wind. Like, I'm, I'm just, cool with that. I'm cool with that, too. You like, know, I there's actually. I don't want people looking down on my dead body. Like, this is no offense to anybody who has had, like, an open casket, but. Yeah. I don't want people looking down on my dead body, so please just like cremate me and put me in my favorite places, so my spirit can roam through there and then go back to wherever the universe I belong. So there's a company that uh, will send your ashes to outer space for pretty cheap. There's a company that will take your ashes and put you in a tree pod, and you plant the pod and you become a tree. Oh yes, that would be sick. Yeah, right. I think that I'd be down with that until the loggers come through and cut all the trees down because it's Maine. So oh shit. That's mm. kind of sad. It is kind of sad. Or you sell the house and your tree body's still stuck there. Your tree body. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? Great. <laughs> and guess what? Susan in her new house wants to cut you down because it's shading the the windows too much. So she just cuts you out. Wow. And it's like, oh my daughter. What a so, bitch. Yeah, fucking Susan. All right. Well, let's dive into Chernobyl. I'm excited for this. Are you? It is such a deep dive. It's really dark. I can't wait. And it's really sad. And it's also, yeah, yeah. So I did a lot of my research based off of tons and tons and tons of articles, but also the HBO documentary, mm -hmm. obviously. Right. Which I found out was really not accurate. Not even. Really? Not like not severely not accurate, but it was extremely over-dramatized. Extremely. Uh, and well, I really, I really thought it was true. Like I was so interested in Chernobyl and I saw that and I was so chilled to the bone, but in reality it was really over-dramatized and people were portrayed quite wrong. Luckily I figured out most of what was wrong and what really happened. Right. I could do like 20 episodes on how deep Chernobyl was. I could do a whole episode on the patients in the hospital. I could do an episode on the doctors that treated those patients. I could do an episode on each crew member that went through and was in when the reactor melted down. and. So what are we going through today? Like a high level overview or? Essentially, we'll start at the beginning. So one thing I did like about Chernobyl is it told a story. And I'm going to do the at least the beginning parts, kind of like how it went through. Like as the crew's in the reactor room, what happened? Some general dialogue they said, which is kind of realistic, kind of not. I cross-checked some stuff. But I'll start in the beginning, kind of like the story of what the crew is like the fire team that comes in on and, you know, takes the fire out, shit like that. And then we'll go 
kind of into more nitty gritty details Mm -hmm. and basically go through days of events and then leading obviously to months and then to present day what's going on. Right. Yeah. Because it's like a long standing thing. Right. One thing I mean, I did skip over. There is a trial. I did skip over that. So I did not do a lot on the trial for the people that were tried due to this event because it was boring. I'd rather <laughs> go into why the reactor melted down and the the physics and shit behind that instead. Right. Versus the judge saying guilty, right. you know, because obviously they're guilty yeah. for what they did. So we'll start at the beginning. Okay. Take us back. We'll take you back. So in Pripyat or Pripyat. Or Pripyat, Pripyat. I'll do Pripyat, Ukraine, Vladimir I. Lenin, which is also known as Chernobyl. It's a nuclear power plant with four reactors. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to discuss the meltdown that occurred in the morning of April 26, 1986, or the late hours that they started the test on April 25th, 1986, and the following days after, in years and months, too. The world was changed forever by the following events. So day one, the test. We'll introduce some people right here. So at the plant, there's a man called Anatoly Dyatlov. But I'm just going to reference most people by the last names. I'm going to call him Dyatlov. He's the head chief of the the Chernobyl nuclear reactor. And at this time, the nighttime crew was performing a simple fail-safe test on the last reactor, Reactor 4. At 1.23 and 58 seconds on the night of April 26th, in the distance, a massive explosion was seen, then felt and then heard. At the base of the Chernobyl plant, a massive orb of light was with a bluish green light emitted right to the sky. And it was seen over 10 kilometers away. After this, absolute chaos. 1.25 a.m. So a minute later, in the control room after this massive explosion obviously rocks the entire control room, head operator Dyatlov states they did not fill up the coolant tank properly and the test had failed. A man named Valery Perenshenko, an operational engineer, runs into the control room, screaming that the reactor had exploded. Dyatlov is asking about the status of the reactor and the control rods in the cooling system. Another operator in the control room, Alexander Akimov, A-K-I-N-M-O-V, another nuclear engineer and operator. He states the control rods are not all the way in, but they're still active. Dyatlov states they need to get back up part of the core to cool it and again, Parenchenko says there is no core. It exploded. Dyatlov, oh right, right. He's like, there's no core. Guys, it exploded. There is nothing here. He's like in a state of panic. And Dyatlov's like, we need water to the core. And he's like, there's no core. Oh, my God. Dyatlov, he stared at him. He says, he's like, you're absolutely confused about the situation. You're not reading something right. This is impossible. Parenchenko pleads with him. He's like, the lid is literally blown off. I'm looking at the stack. It's on fire. And everything is burning. Dyatlov says it's impossible for an RBMK reactor core to explode. And he looks to Akimov and he looks to the rest of the crew. He's like, tell him. Tell him that it's impossible for this to explode. Akimov, which is another an operator of the test, we introduced him earlier. He's repeating. He's like, I did nothing wrong. I literally just ran the test. I did nothing wrong. The whole time he's like in a shock or a state of shock. Yeah. He's like, oh. Then he looks over at Dyatlov and he's like, do you taste metal? Taste metal? Taste metal. Were they bleeding out of their mouths? Mm-mm. Apparently, when you're exposed to radiation, it's a metallic-y taste. High what levels. fuck? Like aluminum-ish. Yep. He's oh like, some, he's like, do you taste metal? Something strange is really happening. He's like, something's wrong. So the control room is kind of in this concrete separated lead barrier box. Yeah. Which is handy. But the second you open the door, 
you're out into it. Yeah. So Dyatlov addresses the crew again, states they need to get hydrogen out of the uh, the cooling tanks and they need to get water to the core again. They need to start pumping water and they need to call the fire brigade to subside the fire. He said first priority is to cool the core down and make sure there's still water pumping to it. Then he literally leaves the room. He steps out and he sees that the entire building is peeled open like a soda can. Blasted apart. What? The hallways are barely walkable, barely, barely traversable. There are no glass in any of the windows. How are these guys alive? Because <laughs> they're in a concrete box. Oh, they were in the box. They were in the box. The control room's like, again, a concrete like box with lead barrier. So in case something like this happens, the control room is a and control the, room. And the core is in the box? The core is outside. The reactors are outside. So think oh of in a God. row, there's four reactors <laughs> right. in a row. Each reactor has, you know, I'm assu- I don't know if each reactor has its own control room, but there's a control room that controls the reactors okay, and they're gotcha. protected. Yeah, that makes sense. So he comes out of it, comes out of the thick lead protected. And again, he sees this <sighs> blasted God. everywhere. Again, barely able to walk down the hallway. He looks out the window, the broken out glass, and he looks down to the floor and he sees concrete chunks. He sees, he sees lead. He sees bits of metal pipe and then he sees this shiny black ish grayish material which is graphite and it's steaming like falling from the sky no on the ground on the ground he sees little pieces of steaming graphite and concrete everywhere and debris obviously because again the whole building like i said peeled open like a soda can half the wall is taken out it's crazy well they could start a pencil company now you don't want this with all the graphite oh nope you don't want that (laughs) (laughs) so obviously the crew is in absolute chaos people are screaming people are running everything is just like luckily it was the night crew so it's less but they brought in its special people to run the specific test again a fail-safe test for the reactor it was the last one they had to run they ran on the other ones so Hmm. in the distance i'm gonna leave the reactor essentially for a minute so in the distance civilians felt the shock wave obviously so they start calling emergency lines in the docuseries, this is really over-dramatized, saying everyone in Pripyat had Pripyat, Pripyat, whatever, woke up. Everybody heard it. Everybody felt it. In reality, not that not that many people had felt the explosion. Yeah. So just a couple. So people, obviously, they felt it, and they woke up, and they saw this bluish glow, and they saw the reactor, you know, something, a fire right. in the distance, because there's nothing between. It's just literally reactor, power lines, and shit, and then Pripyat, the town, about three kilometers away, which is less than a mile. Right, right. So they see it and they start calling emergency lines based off the feeling the explosion. So people are calling it. They bring in every fire department, civilian volunteer, and military personnel to the explosion, including departments from Pripyat, Polesko, and Kiev, the surrounding towns. Mm-hmm. A little bit farther away in Polesko and Kiev. The report, the official report, was there is a fire on the roof in the side of the building and that tar... From the top of the building, because do you ever, everyone ever been on top of a roof where they actually put tar down? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the sticky, weird tar. It, yeah, it's always in those like uh, those movies with like people in jails. They like make them tar roofs. Yeah. So. Yeah. So they said the tar was on fire, and they could see the fire up on the top of the building. Oh God. And so that was the report that they said, "Oh, the tar is on fire, and it's slowly burning right. at the Chernobyl plant." There were further reports of that, again, that bluish green light right at the base of the plant and fire on the side of the building. 
the fire crew, as they're driving up to it, they're like, oh, the color's kind of weird, but they're like, oh, the floodlights are on on the side of the building. It's kind of altering, you know, yeah. the color. Back in the reactor building, people are, again, traversing the hallways, but walls are caved in, so they can't get anywhere they need to be because half of the building is collapsing in on it. Not actively, but has collapsed in. The hallways are blocked. There's debris and concrete everywhere. So the first thing the crew members look for are dosimeters to determine the level of damage and if there's any radiation in the air. Because, again, a fire, you know, a fire at a reactor, they're like, holy shit, if there's radiation in the air, we need to know. Right. So they're looking for dosimeters. Um, They get what we call low-level dosimeters, which I guess most crew members actually carry some on them. But all the readings they got was 3.6 Ronkin. And that's a lot. It's a little. It's an equivalent to about 400 chest x-rays. 400 chest x-rays? 400 per hour. Aren't you only allowed to get chest x-rays like once per year? Typically. (laughs) Okay. Typically. Okay. Per hour. Per hour exposed. So 3.6 Ronkin. But wait, so I'm going to side note here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of these little details in this that are important that come back later. So these numbers, these little details, these little things all matter. Because again, as we go through, they'll be like, oh my God, there was this that we just denied. And there was this we denied. And this we, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. So that 3.6 is important. Okay. That's the only time I'm going to tell you shit's important before it comes back. So... As the crew's walking around, they're like, oh my god, it's 3.6 Ronkin. Cool. They believe the dosimeters are damaged from the explosion because this is the max reading on a low-level dosimeter. Stop. The max. They can't be thinking that. Like, oh, it's probably... They're like, oh, maybe it's damaged. I don't know. Because they've never experienced something this high, ever. Ever. (sighs) They're like, oh, it's one. Okay, not good. There's a leak somewhere. Maybe a coolant tank or something's not right. 3.6. They're like, every single one, they're like, well, there was an explosion. Maybe they all damaged. Who knows? Sure, sure. As the crew starts, you know, walking around, getting these readings, they're still obviously in chaos, like, what the fuck really happened? They're getting chemical burns on their faces, their arms, and their exposed chests or neck area. So they're all kind of turning reddish. They're all getting some blisters. Yeah, they're getting sunburnt, basically. Essentially, yes. God. In the documentary, people are, like, passing out, falling over, collapsing, bleeding, and that's simply not right. But what you can do is you can, a lot of crew members, they did report that they were vomiting. There are a couple of people who did vomit instantly. Not instantly, but after the explosion. Mm-hmm. So, and again, the blistering, the sunburnt skin, the ones who are basically closest to the core when exploded are the ones most affected. Right. So. That makes sense. The explosion essentially ripped faces off and damaged the bodies of a couple crew members monitoring the core, and there was two instant deaths. People, Two people died instantly just from the explosion, not from the radiation. You know what? I have a feeling that they're the lucky ones. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Yep. So on the outside of the building, because this fire has been going on for a couple minutes, ash actually starts raining down, and smoke is just going, billowing out. Mm-hmm. Back to Dyatlov and the crew in the control room. Dyatlov, after his inspection of the building, he walks to his secondary control room and he presses a control button to drop the control rods back into the core, which essentially cools it or stops whatever reaction is going on. Then he goes back to the first control room and he's like, so the the control rods are in now. What's going on? They're like, no, they're still halfway out. They didn't move. He's like, well, we need to go lower them by hand because we need water in the core. We need the control rods to stop whatever reaction is going on. 
He's like, yep, we need the cooling pumps going, blah, 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 blah. They essentially, they're trying to, obviously, he's really adamant about getting water to the core. And he's like, well, or the crew, I'm going to back up. The crew is trying to press the control panel, but they're realizing the control panels, when they press the buttons, it's inoperable. So now the control room is actually not working. Something happened to the electrical system and it's broken. Obviously, probably from the explosion, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Dyatlov's like, I don't give a fuck about the panel. They need water into the core again. <laughs> okay. So he's like, we need water to the core. I don't care. Fuck the panel. We got to get this thing cooled down. We need to get the situation under control. He sends a control engineer to go check the manual swip- switch for the pumps to the cooling tanks that surround the core. He checks, <laughs> and then he checks with the crew. He's like, what's the dosimeter reading? They all tell him 3.6 Ronkin. They try to explain this is the max level for a low-level dosimeter. And he's like, no, no, no. We need to get water to the core. Okay. No red flags. Nothing. Great. Nothing. All right. The crew just looks at him. They're completely in shock at his reaction. Completely in shock. They're like, um, dude, it's 3.6 wrong. And he's like, no, no, So Akimov, again, he's still kind of in shock in the corner. He's like, we did everything right. We performed everything right. I don't know what's going on, but something bad is happening. So, five minutes later, outside the building, it's 1.30. Like, this is over the course of about five minutes. So, 1.30 a.m., the fire brigade appears with the military backup. And they start hosing down the bits of debris on the outside of the building and aim water towards the roof where the fire is. One man bends down and picks up a smoking piece of rock, that hot black graphite, and he looks at it and he's like, eh, what the heck is this? Sets it down. The crew starts stating, they're like, what is this? He's, they're looking at the fire and they're like, this is weird. They're like, I'm tasting something funky. And they're like, all tasting metal. And they all just look at each other. And they're like, eh. Can I just say yeah. that if I was on this crew, the second that that thing exploded, I would have just started running. Like, yeah. Get the fuck out. I wouldn't be messing with anything. Nope. I'd be like, you guys are on your own. I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> it was enough for where it rocked the control room. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bye. Like, I, do, I, Bye. Get, I do not get paid enough for this. No. You're going to be... Oh, my God. The saddest thing is... I actually don't think I noted this. These guys are anywhere from the age of 16 to 17 to early 20s. Oh, my God. They're nuclear physicists at age 18. What was this, like an internship? I don't know why they were so young. How did they get such responsibility at such a young age? It's crazy. But mm. anyways, back to that. The, so the man who grabbed the graphite, he starts screaming. Bloody fucking murder. Screaming. He's like, what the fuck? And he pulls his glove off and his hand is so burned and so blistered he almost, it's just like peeling skin back and swollen. Just from picking up that piece of rock. Oh my god. It burned right through his gloves. The radiation? Oh my god. The graphite's important. So it, he just starts freaking out. Obviously he's out. He's done. And they, they ship him out and they bring him to the hospital. We're gonna go back inside. The crew is, they're looking to manually lower the control rods again. Back to this still. Remember, they're, all the guys are like, they're all disoriented. They're trying to figure out where the control room. So the way it works is control room operators typically don't have to go down and do manual work. They have crew members dedicated to this, but nobody's communicating. No one can get a hold of each other. Everything is down electronically. So these control operators, they're trying to figure out how to get control rods into the core. 
So they're like, do you know, do you know where the control rods are? We need to go to the manual lever. We need to go put this in. So they're asking people, they're all, all the crew that was near the core, they're all burnt. They're like kind of staggering around trying to figure out what the fuck to do. So someone, they're like, we need to go get the control rods. Please bring me to the right place. So he finds a guy. He's like, yeah, I don't think you're going to find the control rods, but okay, I'll bring you to the door. <laughs> so me- a member leads them right to the proper door. And he's like, mm, okay. The door was really jammed. So two guys were had would have had to go in to lower the control rods. So the one that found him, he's like, okay, I'm going to hold the door open. There's debris piled up, whatever. He holds it open, and the two guys run through. They only he only opens it a few he only opens it a few inches. Mm-hmm. They are running through, and they go right to the top deck, and they look straight down into an exposed core. Fully exposed. Great. Nothing preventing any of that core from going right into the sky, and it's on fire. Lovely. The man holding the door, obviously, as they look down, they're all blistered, but as they are standing and looking right into this core, they just start blistering. Their skin starts turning pure red. Oh, my God. The man holding the door, because he's touching the metal, he starts blistering from where he was in contact with the door. In the HBO documentary, I wanted to make sure that I clarified this. The guy who actually is holding this door, like, starts bleeding from where he was touching the door. And that's not how radiation sickness occurs or radiation poisoning. The burns, the chemical burns, absolutely. But you don't just start bleeding profusely from the the contact. Right. Not yet. So. Plus he had like an open wound. Right. But it was was portrayed as in like, oh, the radiation is here. He touched the inside of the door. He's holding it, propping it with his shoulder and the side of his body. And that all just starts to like bleeding, and then he passes out. I'm like, mm, yeah, I mean, but that's not like right. in a movie or show. How are you supposed to portray that damage is being done? You know, so that's probably like a direct. They do a thing. really good job again yeah. by showing the redness in the face and the blistering. Yeah, but the bleeding—that's just not how this kind of injury, this process works. Right. So, yeah. So we're going to go back again away from the plant and at about three kilometers away, civilians are starting to gather. They're like, what the heck is going on? The people who heard it woke up. They start, they see the fire. They start to go outside and wonder what's going on. One of the firefighters' wives actually woke up from this and her name is, oh gosh, Ludmila Ignatenko. I went to school with a Ludmila. Ludmila. Ignatenko is not bad. We called her Luda. Luda? Mm -hmm. L-Y-U-D? I guess, yeah. Sure. So Ludmila Ignatenko, she met with other people outside. Her husband, who was at the firefight, her name, his name is Vasily Ignatenko. He's standing, putting water, and he's standing right next to the core. She's pregnant. Great. Mm-hmm. So at this time, the, the fire crew still believes the fire is just simply tar on the roof, and um ludmila she's like there's something wrong with this fire she's really worried she's looked at the color and she's like there's it just doesn't seem right she's like this is weird most civilians oh wait i already explained that but anyway anyways in my notes i said most civilians didn't wake up which most people didn't but the few did again so where the civilians gathered which the best view of chernobyl is this bridge it's it's at the entrance to pripyat or pripyat and there was a rumor going around, and I hate this rumor, but it was called the Bridge of Death because everyone who stand on that bridge to view the fire from Chernobyl, 
was said to have died immediately. Not immediately, like within five minutes, but like within a couple weeks from radiation oh, yeah. exposure. That's not the truth. The bridge of death does not exist. Um, it was where the people gathered. It was about 10 kilometers from the plant or so. Um, again, this was not true. Most civilians, they obviously they slept or those who did gather didn't necessarily die. But it was just something that was, like, over-dramatized. Like, oh, this is the bridge of death. In Chernobyl, they show, like, ash raining down on babies. Oh, my God. And, like, kids playing and whatever with, like, solemn music. And nobody was rumored to have died from watching the fire from the bridge of death. Right. Bridge of death. But some people did die, but it was unsure that they could relate it to that particular event. Right. Back in the control room, the, contr- the crew members were sent to manually lower the control rods, or the crew members that w- who were sent, they returned to the room. They said they looked directly into the core, and there is no core. I'm sorry, there is no control rods, and the core is exposed. Diat loves like, um, did you guys lower the control rods, though? <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> this fucking guy. This fucking guy. <sighs> One of the guys who had went to say hey we tried there's no control rods there's again the core is exposed he just started to vomit and then he's like get him out he's like go to the infirmary they're like and he's like he's delusional he doesn't know what he's saying and the crew's like um dude he's burned on his face and his body like hello and he's like oh there's probably a ruptured condenser line that's contaminated which is a water line essentially and he's like yeah i've seen worse I like how he's trying to logic his way to, like, uh, not, is not. not being a complete catastrophe. Dia- apparently, Dyatlov was running this test, and if he, on, again, this is the fourth one, That's he rushed it, but essentially for a successful completion, he was going to get, like, a promotion and a big raise off of doing this test. So that's why he's like, no, it's fine. We're going to fix it. Well, how's your raise right now? <laughs> right. So Dyatlov orders Akimov, the one who's kind of like in shock in the corner. He's like, you got to call in the day shift. We need more hands on deck. Mm-hmm. We need people to get water to the core. We need electricians and workers to help fix the things that are going on in the broken shit. And they'll clean up the building later. Okay, sure. Yeah, right. let's call more people to... To literally come in and expose themselves. Yeah. So Dyatlov's like, go do that. He leaves... And he calls two people, which are uh, Brukhanov, which is B-R-Y-U-K-H-A-N-O-V, which is the plant manager. Not necessarily the owner. I don't... He was portrayed as one of the... He's definitely one of the higher-ups of the plant. And Nikolai Fomin, which is a chief engineer. Again, this is probably the second highest higher-up if Brukhanov is the first. Again, two higher-up peoples. Akimov, he's like, they need to evacuate the building. We don't need to call in the day shift. We need to get away from this core. We need to f- get out of here. Yeah, whoever that guy is, that's me. Akimov, <laughs> yeah. The one, again, he's the one in the, cor- the corner was like, uh. Yeah. Dyatlov threatens him, says he's going to make his life much worse. He's like, we need people and you need to get out of the core now. He ends up calling them in. Yeah, I would, uh, I'd be calling out sick that day. Mm-hmm. So, again, day shift comes in. In the distance, there's a hospital in Pripyat. Pripyat? I don't know why I'm stuck on that. <laughs> About 1.50 a.m., nurses can actually see the fire, and they're like, ooh, something's about to happen. So they're looking from the top floor. They're like, oh, 
I wonder when we're going to get a wave of ambulances coming in from this event. Because obviously, right. you see a disaster, you expect people to come in. Then one woman's like, I hope we have iodine pills. Iodine pills? Iodine pills. For what? To block the absorption of radiation into your thyroid. You just take iodine? Mm-hmm. Doesn't iodine, like, clean water? Or am I thinking of something else? What? It's a trace mineral. Oh. You you you're required to have iodine to function. It's part of your thyroid. Yeah, but I thought you could take like dirty water and put iodine in it, and it like makes it clean. Probably. I think I know what you're talking about. Like iodine pills. Yeah, there's probably a mixture. I don't think it's pure iodine though. Oh, okay. But I know iodine like cleans can clean wounds. Maybe. You know that yellowish tin. No. Oh. Mm. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going with this. Okay, so anyway, she gives them... She so she's like, I hope we have iodine pills. Yeah. Mm. Back at the control room, Dyatlov, he gathers with Brukhanov and Fomin, and they go to the administration building, and it's... The admin building has a safe zone down below, um, kind of a couple levels below ground, and they're behind, like, this lead doors in another enclosed box. Brukhanov walks in, he's like, well, I guess that the safety test was a failure. He's like, I am going to have to report to the committee that there's a fire at my fucking plant. You know, Dyatlov is like, no, they ran the test exactly as planned, but there was a small technical difficulty. Small. Leading to an accumulation of hydrogen in the control tank. The hydrogen was ignited, damaged the plant, and set the roof on fire due to the large size of the tank. Did you just make all that up? Or is that what actually happened? That's not what happened. Yeah. Obviously, it's not what fucking happened. Okay. Just making sure. That is not what happened. He's trying to downplay the situation. Yeah, he's like, oh, it's just a little incident. He said hydrogen built up during the test in the cooling tank, and with a little fire, it ignited. Obviously, hydrogen is very explosive, and it went and blew shit up. But the core is fine. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) Diatlo's like, we're taking measure to ensure there's a steady stream of water through the core to keep it cool. He's like, ah, radiation's only at 3.6 ronkin per hour. Not the best, but not the worst. Oh, from the feed water. Oh, oh. <laughs> not the best, but not the worst. Yeah. Stop. They agree to alert the committee, obviously, and Brukhanov asked him to get a reading from a medium-level dosimeter that levels up to 1,000 ronk. And he's like, you know... Let me guess. It's maxed out. I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. We'll get there. Back outside, the fire crew continue, continues to work on getting their way to douse the fire near the core, even though they have no idea they are about to be exposed to an open core. The crew chief walks up to Vasily, which is, I pick on Vasily a lot, this fireman, because there's one, there's a whole book about him and his wife, and it's really fascinating. I haven't read it for this. Again, I could turn this into a super long, super big thing. Is Vasily Ludmilla's husband? It is Ludmilla's husband, okay. Ignatenko. Vasily Ignatenko. Oh. So, there's a whole book on her experiences with this and him. Right. So I pick on him. He's a really good character to like just follow along and it gives you the fire brigade side of things. Right. It's easier to pick somebody who represents versus doing every single encounter. Yeah. Because it would be here all day. Yeah. So he walks up to Vasily. He's like, yeah, you got to take your crew up higher. The water, we got the fire simmered down on the lower levels and we need to get up higher and up over the debris where there's fire behind this like big debris pile Mm -hmm. down and in so again they need to get up over there the crew they start walking up the debris and they stand right next to the fire next to the open core their face and their skin instantly starts to turn red and blister 
It was said that in recounts of this event, some of the crew is in full, you know, firefighter uniform, the big heavy suits. Some were just in fucking t-shirts because they got called out of bed and it was such an emergency for them to get there. They're like, eh. So they're wearing t-shirts and shorts and they're firefighting. (sighs) I know. It's rough. So now we're at 3.30 a.m. And we're still that we're down in the control room again. And they're all trying to figure out what the fuck to do. So they've been sitting here for two hours running around trying to figure out what the fuck to do in the situation. Akimov, he's agreeing with Dyatlov. He's like, yes, we need water in the core to avoid a full-blown meltdown. There are valves that can be opened by hand to push water into the cooling tanks and right directly into the surrounding the core to cool it. Right. But there's it's light it's levels it's like boom 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 and then long ass pathways of manual valves that normally on a switch they all go kunk and then open yeah so doing it by hand they have to unscrew everything step by step by step by step by step it could take hours he's like you know what we're gonna start so he grabs another guy called leonid another operating engineer in the control room and they go down and find the valves and start opening them Again, he's still kind of in shock, but he just is kind of following orders. He's like, we still did nothing wrong. We just need to make sure that the core is protected. The, these these valves, they're not on the core side of the, right? They're doing it from the other side of the core? So it's, there's, you know, lines of tubes and piping that goes, that surrounds, that, you know, de- oh, is down below. And because, again, normally with a switch, they would open all the valves and it allows water to flow into these big tanks that are on the outside of the reactors. And then if it gets too hot, there's like a cylinder of water that surrounds it. And so the, the cooling tanks push water into the core and circulates it. Right. So if it gets too hot, it cools the temperature down. So mm-hmm. it becomes less reactive. Okay. All the valves are going to push water into the cooling tanks, into the bubbler tanks to then circulate the core. So again, because the control is down, they can't get water to those cooling tanks that they thought exploded, which makes no fucking sense. But again, they need, there's probably a backup tank. Right. So they get water flowing into these cooling tanks. So the water's turned on now, and it's just pumping. Gotcha. Which is, mm, that's not great. That comes back. So the great. day shift shows up. We're 3.30 in the morning. The day shift's here now. Cool. They all got called, and they're like, why is the building fucking destroyed and on fire? Like, half of it's blown out. It's like a ice cream scoop size taken oh, out of the building. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So they go, and then along with the day shift, the committee shows up to the admin building itself. They get briefed, essentially, stating that there was a minor setback to the fail-safe test, and there will be no adverse consequences due to the failure of the safety test. And then they say they're going to bring in military to prevent panic. Two to, thou- to 4,000 military personnel. God. As the committee briefs, they're told there's a mild radi- a mild radiation exposure. And it's only limited to the plant itself. Have they done the medium testing yet? No. We're, <sighs> not yet. We're point? getting to it. Oh my god. So this is again, this is 3:30 in the morning, roughly, a little bit past when the committee gets there. One of the committee members says he saw men outside with burns. He saw people vomiting off to the side and getting taken away in ambulances. So he's like, what the fuck is going on? Another guy is like, I saw the Cherenkov effect, which is that bluish green light. Oh, okay. So what the Cherenkov effect is, it occurs when a particle or an electron carrying an electrical charge travels faster than the speed of light through a medium such as water or air. 
the passage, it's it's not like breaking the sound barrier, but it goes so fast that it creates this little blip or a flash of light. So when there's so many particles and they're condensed, they're all flashing at once, it creates this bluish hue. And these are all particles moving through the air, creating this like aura of bluish green light. So it's traveling at the speed at of light? At the speed of light. Okay, you said faster than the speed of light. I did? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, excuse me. It is faster than the speed of light. Sorry. But it literally can't be. It says faster when I looked up the definition. Oh, okay. TBD on that. It could be. But it creates, maybe it, like when it breaks something barrier and it just creates a fucking thing. Well, like, like when you break the sound barrier. Right. It, it goes doop. Yeah. But I imagine like maybe the particles like at the speed of light. Maybe and that's breaking. what the atmosphere or something it could be yeah it's fast enough to where it creates this little blip of energy and it creates a little flash but mm. imagine that to the millions and trillions and nth degree to where now it's a constant fucking flash and it's a glow yeah so that's i mean maybe aurora borealis is similar to that it could be but not radiation maybe it is radiation it is radiation but our atmosphere protects us right from most of it right so sorry Maybe it's at the speed of light instead of faster. But I took a definition from the, the world, so. Tick for tat. All right. So that's what the Cherenkov effect is. Not good. Interesting. Lots of particles, and it's only with high concentration. Right. <laughs> Dyatlov says, he's like, oh, yeah, I noticed that. He's like, we can, there's, it can happen with minimal radiation. It should go away. There's nothing to worry about that. Okay. Yeah. So, in the HBO miniseries at this point, they decide, apparently, they decide not to warn the general public and not to evacuate. They say, we're going to trust the state, we're going to seal off the city and cut the phone line to prevent people from undermining them. And then the committee gets dismissed. This is, this did not happen. So, if anyone watches it and they're kind of relating it back to this, this is pure fiction. And it was for a dramatic effect. They didn't say, oh, we're going to cut the phone lines for these people and try and, like, isolate them into the town. Right. It was well over-dramatized. That did not happen. Hmm. So, going back to the dosimeter, outside of the office for the committee, which just got, did just get dismissed, Sitnikov, which is a dosimeter specialist and nuclear engineer, he was waiting. The large dosimeter was used, which is the thousand Ronkin reading. And he was sent down to the committee to let know, to know what the results were. But the committee, again, they were dispersed and they were released. But Brukhanov, Fomin, and Dyatlov were present, talking in the room. They said they tried to use the large dosimeter, but it burnt out the second they turned it on. Burnt out, just fizzled. Oh my god, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Brukhanov is like, well, I guess that's shit equipment. Oh, oh this <laughs> fucking guy. Well, Brukhanov, not Dialov. But oh, yeah, okay. this crew of idiots, this band of brother crap here is stupid. And not the good band of brothers, the shitty band of brothers. Yeah. Sitnikov, he found a second one. He's like, listen, I couldn't, the thousand one burnt out, but I found a second one. It measures to 200 Ronkin. And Dialov's like, well, what the fuck was it? He's like, it maxed out. 200 Franken. He's like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Okay. He's like, it did not max out. He's like, the dosimeter specialist, again, Sitnikov, he's like, I saw graphite on the fucking ground. I walked around the building. 
it maxed out. The core, there is something wrong with the core. Dyatlov, he's like, no, you didn't see fucking anything. <laughs> and then Dyatlov's like, so, he's like, if you think that the core is fucking exposed, I want you to explain to me how an RBMK reactor explodes. And most people can't. So he's like, I don't know how, and I don't understand it, but he's like, something's wrong with the core, and I'm pretty sure it exploded. And then he dismisses him. What the fuck? So Dyatlov, within a couple minutes after that encounter, Dyatlov starts vomiting. He starts showing signs of acute radiation sickness. Oh, wow. He's like, sorry. When Sitnikov was dismissed, the dosimeter specialist, to be sure... Uh, Brukhanov and Fomin decided to send him to the roof to look down into the core to make sure he was visually correct on what he was seeing. Mm-hmm. So he was escorted up to the roof, forced to look right down into the core, just like those two other men did. Yeah. He looked straight down into it. How'd that go? Not good, obviously. <laughs> Not great. His face obviously instantly reddened and blistered, and he turned around and walked back. At this point, ambulances are on site. They're hu- they're hauling firemen away who have started to show signs of acute radiation sickness. Dyatlov and the crew, the control crew, who are sick, getting out of the building, going to the hospital. Sitnikov goes back down to the admin building. He's like, yep, the core is open. He's like, it's exposed. In the distance, the hospital prepares for waves of ambulances. And that's where we'll end, I guess, part one. That's a, a really good cliffhanger, actually. That is a good... now I really want to know... Right! ...what happens next. And I am... Let's see. I'm seven pages. This may be a... Gosh, I can't even imagine if this would be a three-parter. But I'm hoping to get it down into two. We did talk a lot in the beginning of this one. But yeah. That's exciting. It's extremely exciting. So, some again, I told the story... In a way of in the control room based a little bit off the HBO miniseries and then a lot of it off the articles I read on people's encounters. Some of these people aren't even alive. So it's it's based off he said, he said, he said, she said. Objection hearsay. (laughs) (laughs) So. Wait, so when, when did this, what year did this happen? 1986. Not long ago. And not many people are alive from that or at least maybe I will tell you, I will tell you who has died. And who has survived and who is, you know, what's going on in current days at the plant itself. I'll I'll promise I won't leave that out. Okay. I have a lot of questions, but I'll save them. (laughs) Is it anything about this past part? No, it's all about It's all in the future, yeah. Yeah. So you'll have to just wait and see, and then you can ask questions as we go. Cool. So we will see you for part two, but don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Instagram. At starmanspodcast at gmail.com. That's not Instagram. That's our Gmail. At starmanspodcast. <laughs> <laughs> or you can send us an email at starmanspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. If, if you have any questions about any of the episodes that we do, including this one, um, or any future topics that we might want to cover, uh, send us an email and uh, we'll be happy to read them. We'll take um, gentle feedback. And, nice uh, comments. And yeah, we will be on Spotify. We have figured out the issue and uh, we're working to recom- uh, recommend it, Re- reconcile it. Um, so yeah. 
Should be good. We should be hopefully be on Spotify when this, if not this one, then the next one uploads. Oh, ab absolutely. By this, by the time you're hearing this and it's hitting your ears, we're on Spotify. I can guarantee it. We'll episode dump the first two or three just to keep it equal with Apple. So yep. we'll dump it on, put them all up. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you for part two. Yeah, buddy. Bye. Bye.